electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, watch out below. The tech sell-off continues. NASDAQ's down another full 2% today and leading the declines. ARC funds, Tesla, Netflix down another 7 We're going to hit the next catalyst that might turn things around or send stocks lower again. The crypto crash, Bitcoin and Ether down by double digits over the past week after Friday saw $137 billion wiped out from crypto markets. Bitcoin below 34 k And social stocks losing some clout. The bears come after Snap ahead of earnings, D. Yeah, Carl, we are going to start with that sell-off tech sinking yet again. The Nasdaq was down as much as 3.3%. It is now down more than 16% below its record close. And an ongoing debate here, how much of the sell-off has been rate-focused? How much is business fundamentals? Remember that late last year, guys, we got bad misses from the likes of Snap, Roku, Pinterest, Adobe, Salesforce. That all hit those stocks very hard and had nothing to do with the Fed or a shift to value stocks. Last week, though, it was Netflix and Peloton both sinking on soft demand and weak user growth. This week will be a big one indeed. We will see who gets punished if they miss or even if they just don't beat by enough. Perhaps some upside surprises too. We've got IBM earnings today, Microsoft tomorrow, Tesla, Intel Wednesday, Apple Thursdays. John, it is still early in the earnings season, but what we've seen so far, especially NASDAQ, you know, the question of did it freak out the markets or is it a sign of more to come? I think that's what everyone's going to be looking for in this business. Week. Yeah, I think perspective is important here. I, I don't think we saw anything close to a bad miss from Adobe, for example. But, you know, these stocks have been running pretty strong, some of them, based on arguably more than just their fundamentals. And you look at some of these stocks, we've known that they've been in a good spot for a while. I mentioned Adobe. AMD uh, is another one. Uh, I could throw out Shopify. Uh, Those are companies that have positioned themselves very well over the past uh, year plus, multiple years, in seeing how these digital markets are going to open up. But, you know, Carl, they've been on a fantastic run. And I think now there's a, a question of whether there's an overall valuation reset happening here uh, versus versus something else. Uh, Meanwhile, guys, uh, the market not getting a lot of comfort from lower rates. Got the two year back below one, a theme that our Mike Santoli is looking into this morning. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Carl. I mean, at this point, this latter phase uh, of this sell off really does not have a lot to do with uh, day to day movements in yield. Now, I've been skeptical of this whole relationship. Uh, I think people just made too much of it being directly about yields on the way up and the way down. And if you take a look here, uh, this is just a very crude way of looking at it, which is long-term Treasury prices have pretty much diverged in the last couple of weeks from uh, what the NASDAQ 100 is doing. So this is the long-term Treasury price. Obviously, yields are kind of sideways over that period of time. And you still had this ongoing liquidation in the lower reaches of, uh, of the NASDAQ as well, of course, as the big guys do. The way I guess I would frame it is 
you need to believe in a lot of things to pay 10, 15, 20 times sales for any company. You need to believe they have a great franchise, huge addressable market. They're going to get a big piece of it. The earnings are going to flow through. And maybe for a lot of people, you have to believe that the Fed keeping rates near zero is a big part of that. So I think it goes into the psychology as well as to some degree, the valuation math. Now, take a look here at a couple of big secular growth winners that were beneficiaries really in the last lunge higher in the Nasdaq. That would be NVIDIA and Tesla relative to uh, really just the typical tech stock right here over the last several months. So, you know, we were already struggling in terms of the cloud stocks were selling off all the way before this. But you did see these big ramps, retail investor favorites driven by stampedes of option buying. They finally are coming down. So to me, it didn't really have a lot to do with yields on the way up or the way down or really what the Fed was going to do. There was just a collective enthusiasm that has now been pierced to a significant degree. I think the big question now is, where's the washout level? Um, I really would have thought we might have seen indications we were there right now, but you're seeing stocks that made new lows last week that are actually still underperforming today. So we await that moment, guys. Yeah, we certainly do, Mike. We're going to dig more into this and bring in Satori Fund founder Dan Niles. When he joined CNBC in late December, he said to expect a 20 percent correction in 2022. Dan, we are not there yet, but your call is looking uh, fairly precedent. As you know, Mike was just saying that these some of these names that have already sold off, they continue to fall further today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, the, the big difference, and we've been talking about this, obviously, since last year, is you have inflation really high, and people just forget how much of the market is just driven by liquidity, which some people take, you know, those stimulus checks and the Fed expanding their balance sheet, and some people buy crypto, others buy meme stocks, other, other people buy houses, boats, um, you know, and stocks. And so when that money starts to go away you end up with this starting to happen. And mm. the one metric that nobody really talks about is valuations. And we've been mentioning this for a while, but at the peak of the tech bubble, you take the market cap of the entire stock market, you divide it by GDP, that was at 1.4, that got up to two times at one point, it's down to about 1.8, 1.7. But you know the average for 50 years is 0.8. So if you've got a Fed that's very aggressive, you've got growth slowing down, you have inflation pretty high and we've talked about why we think it'll stay high you know ultimately i think the market's down 20 percent i do believe with today's move you know we have a bunch of technical indicators we look at and um, we wrote about this over the weekend but you know over 50 percent of them were signaling oversold so as much as i'm going to hate to do this i'll probably be buying some stocks today because you know human beings are horrible investors you know, you're buying at the top because crypto is going to go to 100,000 and then you're selling at the bottom and freaking out because now you've got all this pain and you're trying to deal with it. So, um, you know, for us, we have over 30 percent of the portfolio in cash. We said it was our favorite investment coming into the year. And so we're going to put some more of that cash to work and we'll see what happens. Dan, how much of it? I, I'm looking around. GameStop is still above 90 a share. AMC still above 15. Uh, Bitcoin at the moment Still a hair above 34,000. These aren't exactly like, I don't know, uh, bargain basement prices by historical standards. So at, at what stage of this, uh, if it is a valuation reset, at what stage would this be? There's no chance I'm buying those. Um, so what I'm, what I'm talking about is real companies. So it's names like, you know, 
Facebook or Google, guys that make lots of money, lots of profits, that are market share leaders, that are profitable today, not 10 years from now, and not based off of some theme that, you know, you think crypto is going to take over the world. So for us, this is looking for real companies and more skewed towards services versus products. Because remember, in 2020, we had, um, you know, people were sitting on their Peloton bikes, watching Netflix, ordering groceries off of Amazon and signing their documents with DocuSign. You know, hopefully by this time next year, I'm going to be sitting on a beach in Hawaii on a surfboard in a hotel on a flight I just took. So the what you're spending money on as this pandemic turns into an endemic and we sort of learn to live with it, like the flu that kills 30 to 40,000 people a year, that's going to change what you're spending money on. And, and that's what you're really seeing. Don't forget, Netflix missed two quarters last year. Amazon missed two quarters last year. This is not new. The big new is the Fed's going to be very aggressive. Easy money's going away and the economy's slowing down from pandemic driven stimulus. So, you know, yeah, I wouldn't touch GameStop or crypto, but the real companies, that's where we're putting our money to work in. It kind of reminds me, Dan, of uh, your famous call about uh, Disney uh, when the pandemic initially hit. I see it at 1.30 today. I wonder if that's going to be a name that you're going to take a look at. And also, more broadly, how you view like classical cyclical trades when clearly uh, there are some hints, at least PMI, retail sales, uh, revolving credit, that households are under pressure, that, that growth is slowing. Yeah, and, and you're, you're absolutely right, Carl. I mean, Disney is... is it hasn't gotten to the level where I want to necessarily step in yet, but I was definitely looking at it last week and we'll see because it's a reopening play too, in the sense that, you know, people aren't traveling to go to Disneyland because you're afraid of what's going to happen with Omicron. But I think, you know, a year from now, we're going to get there. Um, and you're right. The economy is slowing down and it makes sense that it should because you had five and a half trillion in stimulus from government, uh, you know, measures um, over this pandemic. You had the Fed expand their balance sheet by four and a half trillion um, in a very short period of time. Um, all of that stuff is backing off. So I think you have to be incredibly selective. Valuations for the first time, arguably in you know a very long time, are now starting to matter, and cash flows matter because you know I think Mike Santoli talked about this. I yeah. mean IPOs, etc. It's all shut down. So access to free money mm -hmm. to fund money losing businesses is gone. <laughs> He called it valuation math, I think, Dan. Uh, is it possible, though, with the declines that we're seeing, um, especially in the markets today, that this could change the Fed's calculus, that perhaps some of the wealth coming out of the markets here could prevent the Fed, could actually have an effect on inflation, too, and prevent the Fed from raising rates as many times as the market is baking in right now? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't think so. I think this is the 19, uh, you know, 80s when Volcker was forced into raising rates, even when the economy was slowing down because inflation was really high. Because, I mean, the people watching your show, they obviously own stocks, but 45% of the U.S. population doesn't own stocks. So for them, you know, their food bills going up, their rents going up, the cost to put gasoline in their cars going up, and they're not benefiting from the inflation in stock prices, home prices. Etc. So, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this on DanNiles.com, but you've got 3 million more jobs openings than you have people unemployed. That's going to keep pressure on wages. You've got, you know, the amount of unsold homes out there at about two and a half months. The normal is four to five months. So that's going to keep yeah. pressure on rents. 
So all of these things will keep inflation hot, which will make the Fed, which made a policy mistake last year by not raising rates, have to move more aggressively this year. And that's why we're still playing for the down 20 percent over the long term, Mm -hmm. even though I think the next three to five percent is up in the market. And as you said, holding on to some cash. Dan Niles, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. We should also note, John, that the Nasdaq is down more than 3 percent again, heading closer to the session lows. It is indeed. Uh, And that's not all. Bitcoin losing nearly half its value since its record high in November. Kate Rooney is here with the latest on this crypto crash. Hey, Kate. Hey, John. Yeah, cryptocurrencies have been slammed right alongside tech's tech and growth stocks like you guys have been mentioning. Bitcoin trading under 34000 this morning. You've got Ether, the second largest cryptocurrency, seeing even bigger losses. Both of those, though, hitting their lowest levels since July. And a couple of factors here. It's partially a result of cryptocurrencies just becoming more mainstream. That was seen as a bullish sign as the asset class matured over the past couple of years. But it is a catch-22 as macro funds adopted Bitcoin. They're now turning to crypto as one of the first places Uh, They're looking to sell and get liquidity. And some of these guys, of course, are taking risk off the table lately. Bitcoin has been trading right in line with equity markets as as well. Crypto and stocks hitting their tightest level of correlation since 2020. And analysts are also pointing to retail investors losing conviction lately. Glassnode this morning saying that the lion's share of losses are coming from newer buyers. They call those short-term holders who appear to be taking any opportunity, as they put it, to get their money back. Right now, only 32% of Bitcoin's market cap is held at an unrealized profit. So a lot of investors right now are underwater. That low profitability, sustained investor losses, as well as low investor sentiment tend to be the real signs of a bear market in crypto. And one way to measure sentiment is called the fear and greed index. That right now, guys, is at a 13 out of 100. Last month, for example, it was around a 39. Leverage, another big theme we've talked about in recent weeks, is also climbing. We've seen some changes lately. Noel Atchison of Genesis telling me this morning that there's been a spike in bearish sentiment in the options market. That's based on the options skew dipping and funding rates going negative. There's also been a lot of liquidations in the past 24 hours. More than 400 million in leverage positions have been unwound uh, over the past 24 hours. Some bulls, though, holding out for a relief bounce in crypto, but the next key support level that Fundstrat, at least, is watching 29,000. Guys, back to you. That level, Kate, keeps keeps heading lower and lower. You know, the crypto bulls are such a vocal group, and it feels like they can kind of justify any sell-off. And I just wonder, Kate, what are some of kind of the most prolific names in the space saying? How do they judge this? I mean, we've heard for a long time that Bitcoin isn't a currency. It's a store of value, but now it's acting kind of like a high-growth gro- high tech stock. Where do, what are they saying it goes from here, the next catalyst? Yeah, well, no, you're right about the moving target there in in terms of sort of the next leg lower. Uh, But some of the biggest, most prolific names, and it's now a lot of mainstream sort of software CEOs that have gotten in early would say, you know, we've seen this before, that there's been a crypto winter and it's taken sometimes more than a year for crypto to recover to some of the other highs. But those who have been in the market for a long time recognize the volatility as Um, a feature, not a bug. They say this is the way that it goes if you invest in cryptocurrencies. So these guys are long-term holders, long-term bulls, and uh, are trying to sort of rally the troops you see on Twitter. Um, And I I think there's a lot of people who even recently in the past year or so started either taking their salary in Bitcoin, put some of their company's money into uh, Bitcoin, and now it's sitting on their balance sheet. 
So it is sort of a different dynamic that we've seen. You know, there has been volatility before, but it's gotten a lot more popular. As I mentioned, macro funds are now involved, but there's no capitulation on Twitter by some of these big CEOs. They're sort of saying, you know, hold on, total is the, uh, the term that they might use, but still bullishness on Twitter. And I think at this point, if they've committed so much of their career and reputation to Bitcoin, you know, nobody's saying at this point sell. So it's just uh, a lot of bullishness out there and you know, long-term investors. So we'll see how it, how it works out though. Kate, thanks for that. Uh, Kate Rooney watching uh, Crypto for us today. Uh, meanwhile, as far as stocks go, was Netflix a canary in the coal mine for technology? Uh, down 10% today, uh, wiping out nearly all of its uh, COVID-era gains. Joining us this morning to talk about that and the broader sell-off, longtime TMT investor Morris Mark of Mark Asset Management. Morris, it is great to have you back. Um, Thank you, a lot Carl. of discussion today about how much larger, how much more engaged uh, Netflix's audience is than, than it was before COVID began. Uh, does it deserve uh, the same share price? Well, I want to put it this way. Netflix is not the first thing on my mind right now. We had a medium-sized position. We now have a token position. Maybe I can answer some of your question. Uh, I think it's a really good company run by really smart people. Uh, when they reported the quarter, they sent a message, and the message was, hey, we're going to have to spend more money and we're going to have to defer the timing of the improvement of profit margins. So I think right now my concern is obviously much broader. We've cut exposure uh, dramatically uh, in my hedge fund so that our net investment position is modest, though we can be very flexible on that. That's a, there's a message there. And we built a lot of cash on my equity fund. Uh, we're keeping the quality. We think the quality will perform well. I think the parallel might be 2008. 2008, they cut everything apart. 2009, anything that was really good came back better. I'm not saying that's what this year is going to be like. But what I am saying is that tactically, I think that's the way you have to approach things. Morris, how are you defining quality in this market? How are you valuing companies? I mean, uh, there's talk about fundamentals returning. What are the important fundamentals? Can you not invest in any company that's not profitable right now, even if its top line growth is exceptional? Yes, you don't. You just don't. I think there are a couple of lessons here. Number one, you want financial staying power. Okay. And I think that one, the first thing that happened, and this started in the fourth quarter, is that the market started to suffer, suffer indigestion. I think Jim Cramer put it very well this morning. He had 600 names. 600 names were issued in the last 12 months. A lot of them is SPACs, which is even worse. But a lot of names, a lot of paper came out. Now, in that paper, there's some really good businesses. But my criterion is really simple. If it ain't making money, if it ain't generating free cash flow, we'll pass. We'll watch it. We'll follow it. We'll see what happens. Morrison, okay, am I hearing you right? So nothing that isn't making a profit. How do you sort of, how do you make outsized gains then? You would have missed out on an Amazon, Tesla, countless others. Um, you're looking for quality, but you could sacrifice some of those bigger gains that we've seen from remarkable companies over the last decades. I think it involves hard work and research. Uh, we started buying Apple in 2006 and again in 2008, and we still own it. Uh, we have some uh, alphabet that goes back to the original IPO that we really came back into it in 2010 and 2011. 
So I think the criteria is a little this, is, a lot of this is in your gut too. You sort of know when you see something really special about a business. Right now, what's really special is companies that are generating tons of free cash flow that have powerful franchises and that are still growing very rapidly. Alphabet is still growing very rapidly. And remember, it operates throughout the world, except for China. Okay, uh, I'm gonna, I can keep saying that about a lot of names. So that its opportunity is still open-ended, and there's a secular trend benefiting it. Because we're in an omni-channel world, which means people buy both online and offline, a lot more marketing, a lot more selling is done online, even though you end up in the store. And we like shopping in stores. Usually now when I go in a store, I know what I want. I know the style, you know, but I just may want to try it on, for example. So I think you can buy some terrific businesses today. And we're not yet doing much buying. We just we've got it down to a level where we're going to keep what we like. We're definitely invested in our equity fund because that's what it's that's what it's for. We're definitely invested in our hedge fund, but we've reduced exposure dramatically. One of the things I think you got to realize now is because we can do it, everybody can do it. And the market's going to move fast both ways. And you got to figure out when it's real, when it's really going to get better. Okay, because everybody's using the same way of hedging. And you've got to be aware of that. Yeah. Uh, finally, Morris, we should point out there's a few media names doing well. Uh, Fox up on this upgrade saying that um, they're well positioned to benefit from sports betting. Our parent Comcast and Charter saying the the view on broadband slowdowns too draconian uh, and they get upgraded at RBC. Uh, are you seeing things like that in your universe? Yeah, look, uh, first of all, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Fox is intriguing. We're not there, but we're looking at it. But we've been buying Disney uh, and it's a position we've had over the last couple of days. Now, we haven't taken a major addition. We're just not doing any major additions right now. But it's our way of remembering that Disney is a very cheap stock. Cheap. It's trading well below its strategic value. That's one of my criteria now in terms of looking at something. And I think the thing you got to remember about Disney, Carl, is that they own some of the world's most valuable real estate on a scale that's unprecedented. They've got 32,000 acres of property in the middle of the second fastest growing state in the country where they represent the fulcrum of tourist destinations. And I'm, I'm going to agree with one of your previous guests. The pent up demand for travel is enormous. Every time we go out and we talk to a friend, all they want to do is plan a trip. And I think that includes Disney World. So when you look at Disney's numbers, I'm just amazed, frankly. Uh, maybe I'm not amazed because Brian Roberts is a lot older than the last time he tried this. He tried to take over the company, I guess it was about 10 or 15 years ago, and almost pulled it off. I mean, if I were him now, and I'm not telling Brian what to do. He's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> you know, I call Blackstone and finance the real estate. Disney is unbelievably valuable. Morris, it's always good to get your view, especially on a day like this. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon again. You too, Carl. Thanks. How's that for a gutsy piece of advice? Huh. Well, also, social stocks selling off today. Snap getting a downgrade this morning. Twitter and Pinterest with uh, price cuts as well. Our Julia Borston checking in on the bears. Julia. 
Well, John, social media stocks are plummeting right now on some downgrades. Snap under pressure, dropping about 10 percent this morning after Wedbush downgraded the stock to neutral, saying, quote, we see risk to Snap's revenue growth targets stemming from IDFA headwinds. Those are Apple's ad targeting limits. They also see difficult comps from stellar growth in 2020 and 2021, increasing competition from TikTok in particular. Canaccord also lowering its price target for Snap today, citing the same issues with Wedbush and stressing the risks around those tougher comparisons. Goldman also cutting its price target on Friday. And Twitter, those shares are down about 5.5% after both Canaccord and Goldman cut their price targets on the stock. Goldman also cut its price target for Pinterest. That stock is down about 4% as well. Now, of all of these social media players, Meta is down the least, though it is still down about 3%. Uh, you see, nearly 3%. Goldman did reiterate its buy and price target on the stock on Friday. Now, speaking of competition for all of those players with TikTok, just this morning, CNBC's parent company, NBC Universal, announced a deal with TikTok for the Olympics, giving it more valuable content to compete with the likes of Meta. Guys? Julia, I want to go back to Snap because, yeah, I understand all the analysts are getting, you know, religion about how, how they need to cut their targets and everything. But it was just back in late September that this thing was trading above 80 bucks a share. And the story was that it was different from, you know, your Twitters and, and even Facebook with the regulatory and data headwinds and problems that it faces. Snap has gone from 83 or so down to now below 30. Have the fundamentals of that company outside of IDFA and, and the iOS stuff that we've known about, has something fundamentally changed? Well, certainly the fundamentals have changed. The question is, are Snap's strengths as strong as analysts thought they were back then? We will hear a lot more when we hear from Snap's earnings, which I believe are the end of next week. But I think there's this question, John, is, is Snap really different? Can it be more resilient to the IDFA, those Apple target ad targeting issues? Can its, its user growth remain strong as people get out into the real world more? Can Snap be the kind of app that is both useful for close ties and for friends when people are isolated and also as people use the Snap map as they go out and about. And I also think as we talk about Meta, of course, formerly Facebook, Snap has been investing in augmented reality for a very long time now. Do those investments pay off in terms of targeted advertising, interactive advertising, using those lenses and other augmented reality features? So I think Snap has a lot of things that make it different from the other players. The question is, do they make it different enough? And what happens with TikTok? I mean, we can't underestimate the massive growth and draw of that platform. And we'll see if people are spending more time on Snap or on TikTok when we get those numbers next week. Yeah, got you. It's just, it's lost almost two thirds of its market cap in less than six months. Um, so I wonder, you know, off about 10% today, I wonder uh, what's there. We'll see, Julia, thanks. Meanwhile, the payments space, another sector taking a hit in the broader sell-off. Our next guest sees opportunity there, but says investors need to be patient. That operating environment change is near and will benefit the stock. Some of his top picks are PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, and Affirm. Joining us now, Morgan Stanley analyst James Fawcett. James, welcome. Who's, uh, who's suffering the most unjustly here in the payment space, would you say? Wow, that's a that's a big question. Look, I think that 
probably the most controversy is, is around a firm right now, uh, consumer credit business. Uh, you're seeing not only a normalization of credit behavior, but a rise in interest rates that's putting a lot of pressure there. We still have a lot of confidence that numbers can go up this year, but, but at the same time, we, you know, we have to recognize there is a changing environment near term. But in the long run, um, there's still a lot of, of opportunity for them to grow their, their, their customer base and deliver financial services. But all the payments companies across the board, whether we're overweight or equal or not, on any of them are, are really getting um, hit and, and have been for the last six to eight months. Yeah, and James, you say that you're waiting for M&A. I wonder what you think has changed or hasn't changed in the last year or so. Certainly, some of the valuations of the high flyers have come down. But, you know, I recall when Visa was trying to buy Plaid and they came under regulatory scrutiny. Do you think that there's less of that in the current environment? Yeah, well, when we look at Visa and MasterCard specifically, um, they're always looking for new technology acquisitions. Um, we don't think it's as important for them, but if we look at the rest of the, the payments uh, ecosystem, we do think that given the high levels of capital investment, et cetera, that, that acquiring these new technology companies that are entering into the payment space ends up being important ways to, to improve the technology capabilities and the long-term opportunities sets for most of the companies. I think most managements have been reluctant to pay up for valuations, um, especially over the last year. As we've seen valuations come down, well, you know, that may change. But we do think that that's an important way to, to create value over the long run if, for a lot of the incumbent players. If not Visa and MasterCard, two of the biggest players in the space, then who, James? Who else has sort of the positioning and capital to do so? Yeah, so, um, so we've seen PayPal square, obviously, with its acquisition of Afterpay. Um, some of the least expensive names in the payment space where we're equal weight, like FIS, Fiserv, Global Payments, um, these are all companies that, that we think could and, and probably should be doing acquisitions right now, but they've been reluctant because of, of prevailing valuations. Hey, James, uh, some of your peers on the street today uh, on a firm say uh, that uh, there could be some upside guidance on GMV, even though longer-term risks uh, with uh, credit checks and so forth. Do you, are there names where you think maybe short-term there could be some relief based on fundamental elements of the print? Yeah, for I think a firm, we would be in that same camp. I, a firm's probably one of the names where we have the highest conviction that there could be a better outlook than what is built into estimates today. Remember, they started accepting Amazon, or Amazon, I better said, started accepting a firm uh, late in the December quarter. Uh, our sense is that could be tracking a bit better than had been anticipated originally. Uh, they also have a very nice relationship and partnership with Shopify. Um, and we think that's starting to ramp. And just the overall demographics, it, it really favor their go-to-market. So so I would I would tend to agree that a firm among the companies that we cover probably has the best opportunity for near-term estimate revision. Oh, interesting. We'll be watching that in, in the weeks to come. James, thanks so much. I appreciate that. A lot of attention on the payment space uh, in the uh, past few weeks. Take a reset here. In just the half, uh, past half hour, Dow continues to do a reset of its own, down about 670. We're just south of a 4,300, uh, about basically south of a 10% correction off of the all-time high on the S&P, and the VIX still elevated near 35. Uh, let us uh, squeak in, uh, sneak in a quick news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Try to make this very quick for you here. 
Today's sell-off getting added fuel from a report that U.S. business activity barely grew in January. IHS markets PMI index fell to its lowest level in 18 months. The group says that Omicron has hit output far more than demand. Oil prices also sinking on the report, crude dropping as much as 3.5% before rebounding. Oil prices are also being pressured by a stronger dollar. Energy stocks, some of the biggest losers today. All S&P 500 energy stocks are down. Even Halliburton, which beat earnings estimates and doubled year-ago profits with help from rising oil prices. Halliburton also hiked its dividend by more than 160%. One of the only big winners today is Kohl's. The retailer is surging more than 30% after getting new buyout interest. P firm Sycamore Partners reportedly offering $9 billion for the company. That is slightly more than a bid from Acacia Research made last week. You're now up to date. John, I will send it back to you. Hopefully that was quick. <laughs> very quick and very, very valuable. Thank you, Rahel. The Nasdaq, meanwhile, down more than 3%, back near the lows of the day. Meme stocks and ARK funds both falling hard today and in the past few weeks. What a difference a year makes. Dom Chu, what's with this move? It wasn't even a year, right? I mean, you take a look at where the highs were in many of these meme stocks and many of the stocks tied to the ARC Tech Innovation ETF and that particular ecosystem, the components there. We've seen a sharp move. If you take a look overall at what is driving some of the downside today, specifically within the NASDAQ overall, that pretty much sets the theme for many of these meme stocks and certainly with the ARC funds involved as well. Look at Netflix Airbnb, CrowdStrike, Tesla, NVIDIA, some of the biggest names out there with regard to technology, media, that next generation of, uh, of companies in the new economy. Netflix down 10%, Airbnb down 10% as well, CrowdStrike, Tesla, NVIDIA. You can see really what's driving a lot of the action to the downside. Now, if you take a look at how that's playing out with the ARC funds in, in, in particular, specifically the ARC Tech Innovation ETF, ticker ARKK, if you look over the course of the last couple of years, and this is a chart that's been making the rounds a lot over the course of the, the last 24 hours or so, this notion that Berkshire Hathaway, when it comes to a company overall, a, a, an industrial conglomerate, one that has a lot of financial interest in stock holdings, Warren Buffett, versus the ARK Innovation ETF. You can see, though, the early part of 2021, we saw the biggest gap in performance between the two of them. And all of a sudden now, they've converged, meaning that in this tortoise and hare type situation, you can see that the Arctech Innovation ETF has now faltered so much so that Again, it's caught up to now where Berkshire is trading over the course of the last couple of years. That's something to keep an eye on just from an investment standpoint. It also kind of is indicative of that growth versus value trade. If you take a look at some of the stuff that's been really driving the action to the downside for that ARC Tech Innovation ETF and many of the portfolio holdings there, take a look at stocks like Robinhood Markets, DraftKings, Block Inc. Over the course of the last few months, you can see the downtrend very much in place for many of these. Robinhood Markets down 70%, bigger than 50 to 60% declines for Block and DraftKings. So some of these holdings have really taken it on the chin. And if you look at the biggest names out there, remember, when we talk about these ARC Tech Innovation ETFs and the funds there, oftentimes the names that we talk about the most are names like Tesla, DocuSign, those other ones, Teladoc, because they tended to be some of the bigger weighted holdings in that portfolio. Take a look at Tesla, Teladoc, Zoom Video, Roku, Coinbase Global, all down anywhere from about 4 to 12% for Coinbase. A lot of the Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency downside driving that downside move here. But that's the reason why, why you're seeing a little bit more of that kind of feel, that sentiment driving this tech and growth trade. And it's become indicative of what's happening with the ARC funds in one way or the other, you're going to see a lot of those 
funds and those particular indices continue to suffer if these types of names continue to do that, guys. Dom, do you have any thoughts on the nature of the volatility? We've been talking for a few months now about the uh, number of retail investors getting involved in options, uh, perhaps trading on margin. And th- there can be this mindset, as you know, you know, as well as anybody, that uh, you know, in a bull market, every gain is deserved and, and every drop in a stock is a theft. But w- what, what does the, uh, the volatility, the nature of the volatility, uh, tell us about how this is the same or different from what we've seen in the past? So, so there are similarities. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. The, the, the valuation side of things, the, the idea that there could be a certain sense of euphoria in certain key parts of the market that might be indicative of bubbles or, or that kind of behavior. It happened back in 1997 through 99. And in certain parts, it's happening right now. But the one thing that we didn't see as much in 1999, as much as retail traders were a part of that particular move, we didn't see as much of the the tools that were available to some of those traders to be able to take the kinds of fees that they have. We have seen it a lot more because of the advent of many of these trading platforms like Robinhood, like many of the traditional online brokers who have now offered commission-free trading. The, The interesting part about the moves that we are seeing right now, it's very severe. There's no doubt about it. It's a it's a sharp pullback. But it hasn't come with any kind of real rigorous amount of volatility, right? With the, the VIX is still, yes, 30 to 35, but it's nowhere near the kind of levels that we've seen during panic moves, especially during the pandemic lows. So you could make the argument that there's an orderly, so to speak, component to this relative to some other of, of, of the kinds of behaviors that we've seen tied to volatility. I, I guess it's going to be interesting to see whether or not you do see more volatile downside moves. Even in today's session, we've yeah. drifted lower, found some bids, drifted lower again. Whether it stays that way into the last hour of trading, that's going to be a key to watch. Yeah, and Dom, we do see the Nasdaq comp now down 3.2%. Uh, we're gonna, that's a perfect lead-in because we're going to stay with some of the stocks that Dom mentioned. They are among the hardest hit today. Robin Hoodie mentioned meme stocks as a whole. Our next guest sees a trend among Nearly every company that went through Robinhood's IPO access program that launched last year reporting that those stocks are now down around 60% from their highs as a whole. Robinhood itself, IPO price was 38 bucks. It is now below $12 a share. And they're not IPOs, but AMC and GameStop, they're worth mentioning. They have both cratered and they're down double digits today. Joining us now, Ranjan Roy from Margins. Uh, Ranjan, you looked at the role of Robinhood and FOMO, how that played into the markets over the last few years. Easy when there was a lot of enthusiasm and exuberance, but some of those retail investors that got in are learning the hard way what uh, some of those leverage and those names getting in early or at the peak uh, leaves you with. Yep, back in March, Robinhood, March 2021, Robinhood announced a new program that was going to give the everyday retail investor access into buying into IPOs in the name of democratizing finance, and it sounded great. But I went through the 20 IPOs that were marketed through this program, the IPO access program. They're down 40% from their first day of trading. And more importantly, they're down 61% as of this morning on average from their highs. Because what happened in every single situation, there was a pop. They were either first day of trading or within the first few days, and then a gradual and sometimes brutal decline, which makes sense. It introduced 22 million new users into the IPO process 
millions of new buyers and a still a finite amount of shares being offered. Of course, you're going to see that kind of price action. And I think it's a really important thing to remember that as all these new tools were introduced, it completely the changed the way a lot of these companies moved, whether it was like Brazilian fintechs like New Bank or Fancy Salad like Sweetgreen, and everything saw that same pattern. Right. Ranjan, though, to be fair, it wasn't just Robinhood. SoFi introduced this as well. And I should also mention that the Nasdaq is now down nearly three and a half percent. We've really seen the selling uh, sort of accelerate in the last few moments. Yep. Yep. So, okay. So first of all, SoFi has a very similar program to Robinhood. Robinhood kind of came out big with the democratizing finance thing, but I agree. It's introducing this thing that seemed to be this kind of air of exclusivity in the past to an entire new generation of investors. And don't get me wrong. I was here in back December saying that the era of the story stock is over and the crash has already begun. But in 2021, IPOs in aggregate were down 14% six months out from when they started trading. That was across all 400 traditional IPOs. Again, Robinhood was down 40% from their first day of trading. So even on a relative basis, they performed a lot worse. But again, it makes sense given the specific mechanics of the program. And the, the today's brutal. It could continue to be brutal. But we have to look at which are the stocks that are more vulnerable to these moves, given the types of money that had rushed into them. Ron John, when you look at uh, the damage that has been done, really going back months, and I'm talking about a lot of the losers uh, for 21 on the NAS, the Pelotons, the Chegs, the T-Docs, the Zooms, uh, how much of that is, has been, is at, at this point constructive, um, given that these names are not necessarily going to go to zero? Yeah, I, I genuinely believe these moves are constructive in the sense that they're just in some ways a reversion to the traditional financial metric means. These are real companies that have real businesses, many of them, and they should be in a good position. But the question is, like in 2021, hodling, buying the dip, um, you know, these were the terms that kept running through every single segment. But I think capitulation is the word that we have to keep an eye on, because who's going to give, when are they going to give, and how violently are they going to sell? We're seeing it today. We saw it last Friday. The, as you have the Fed coming in for liftoff and quantitative tightening, it's completely going to change the risk profile of everyone, whether you're sitting at home or you're some big pension fund, and who is going to be buying these stocks and at what level do they come in? Because, again, Peloton's still trading at four and a half times sales, and it's a decelerating business. That's not cheap yet. Yeah, Ron John, we always talked about these investors, right, and that it was a good thing that at least they're going into the markets because they're learning. And yes, in this moment in time, it feels like a very harsh lesson if you had bought some of these names at the top. But do you think that some of the newer retail investors will start to look at different valuation metrics, maybe go from price to sales to price to earnings, uh, and perhaps exclude a lot of the companies that don't have any earnings that they have liked? Yeah, I am a big believer, and I do think investing has fundamentally changed, that People aren't going to completely exit the markets. But again, in the future, what is a traditional software PE ratio? And is this snowflake way above it? Or is it, you know, what companies are actually good value? I think will be the things people talk about rather than who has the most short interest and let's try to squeeze them. I do think investing is going to get better once people take the lessons that they're learning right now. But again, the only question is, is this just a reversion to the mean and that the froth gets shaken out or could something worse happen? I think that's what we're all going to be watching, especially with the Fed this week and corporate earnings this week from the big guys. I think that's what we need to keep an eye on.
Yeah, well, something worse can usually happen. Ranjan, thank you. Uh, we will check in on more companies reporting earnings this week. Verizon and AT&T, those stocks have severely underperformed, but is now their time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Severe sell-off on this Monday morning. Dow is down uh, more than 800 points, almost down 850 a couple of moments ago. There are some pockets of strength. Uh, let's bring in our Julia Borston to talk about, although the Disneys and the Netflixes and the Snaps, Julia, are getting hurt, there are some legacy media names uh, that are fighting this tape. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Comcast is a rare stock in the green. It's up about half of a percent right now, and that's on an RBC Upgrade to outperform RBC saying that they believe that concerns about subscriber growth are overblown and that there is uh, more potential there now. And just looking at Comcast and putting it in perspective, Comcast, which is, of course, CNBC's parent company, that stock is up about two and a half percent over the past 12 months, but outperforming a lot of the others in the media space, such as Disney, as well as others in the connectivity space, because, of course, this week we're going to hear from Verizon AT&T, and then Comcast. Uh, and then next week, we'll, we will be hearing from T-Mobile. I want to point out that T-Mobile is up 2% right now, and that's on a report that was just out today saying that T-Mobile has made gains, increased its lead over its rivals in terms of 5G speeds and availability. T-Mobile also has the advantage of not being part of that whole issue with the FAA delaying the deployment of 5G around those airports. Um, so we do see T-Mobile shares up today. But just looking at the past year, T-Mobile shares are down 20% over the past year. And it has really been a rough year for the telcos as we go into those AT&T and Verizon earnings. Uh, AT&T down uh, 10% over the past 12 months, Verizon down about 8%. And now the focus for those two in particular is really going to shift to what happens now that they've gotten rid of all those media assets. We expect that Warner Discovery deal to close relatively soon, you know, in, in the next six months. So if that happens, what's next in terms of 5G, in terms of mobile subscriber growth? And it is an increasingly competitive space, guys. Julia, it's interesting when, when I think about connectivity and the impact on these names. Uh, overall, at least at this point in the economy, demand uh, from consumers seems to be steady. And we know that there's been a shift toward digital consumption of all kinds of things. Omnichannel sort of necessitates some kind of connection, whether it be wired or wireless. So is that part of why uh, analysts are perhaps um, you know, warming in some cases to some of these names? 
Yeah, I mean, I look, you're right that everyone needs broadband, everyone needs mobile service for so many different reasons, and that has become even more evident than ever during the pandemic. I do think there, for some of these companies, there was this question of whether there was going to be a pull forward of growth during the early part of the pandemic, but we did get early um, announcements of those actual subscriber numbers from both T-Mobile um, and from uh, Verizon, I'm sorry, from T-Mobile and AT&T. So we haven't yet gotten those numbers from Verizon, but because we've already gotten a sense of this user growth that's either in line or slightly better than expected, it's really about guidance right now. And I know we've been saying this for a lot of the companies, it certainly was true for Netflix, but is what is the, what do they expect to come next? There has been so much competition. They've been investing so much in 5G. What's the next thing in terms of enabling them to gain share and also making sure that subscribers upgrade to these next generation services? Julia, thanks for breaking it down on us. Let's get a gut check now on Google Parent Alphabet. The stock is in the red this morning. Like much else, it is lower by about 3% at the moment. Google is facing more regulatory scrutiny, and this time it is all about location tracking. Attorneys general from D.C., Texas, Indiana, and Washington filing separate lawsuits against the tech giant, claiming it secretly tracked the location of users. Even after users turned off location tracking, Google continued to collect the data according to the suits. Now, of course, this stock was the big fang winner in 2021, closing the year up 65%. It is now taking a hit in the sell-off, citing 12% since the start of the year, Carl. Uh, meantime, D, Shopify falling 27% just in the past week as it signals it may be increasing its logistics spending down about 10% today. We're going to hit some of the e-commerce names after this break as we take a look at the market. Dow down 950 points. Meantime, SoFi, another name that got a First of good news last week with the banking license uh, down 15%. That's about a one-year low. We're back in a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome back. Just a couple minutes ago, the NASDAQ touched session lows. It was down more than 4%. It's now up a little bit from that level, but that's, that's more than 500 points on the NASDAQ. Those are numbers we're used to talking about with the Dow, the S&P off uh, about three and a quarter. The Dow off the least, uh, a little more than two and a half, but that's nearly 900 points. And checking in on Shopify, the stock falling about 25% in one week after a plunge on Friday. The Canadian e-commerce giant confirming reports that it terminated contracts with several warehouse and fulfillment partners, having its capacity for e-commerce orders as it shifts uh, its strategy as it takes on Amazon, the stock at its lowest price since June 2020. The um, Shopify is still strong here. A lot of analysts 
supposing mm-hmm. that what's happening here is Shopify preparing for its own fulfillment service to take on more of these costs itself versus farming them out. Now, if you believe in the company's potential and if you remember Amazon's playbook, long term, that might not be such a bad thing. But uh, (laughs) short term, especially based on the market action we're seeing these days, uh, investors not taking it so well. Yeah, and 25% in a week actually in this current market environment uh, is about steady. I mean, you're seeing the sell-off just affect so many of these high-growth names. Of course, Shopify being sort of the poster child. But yeah, Carl, you're going to hear lots of calls for and comparisons to Amazon. Shopify, of course, is the one that we talk about the most. But other companies that aren't profitable that are going to point to say you got to be patient in these markets and that this kind of a sell-off, you got to remember that Amazon at one point was worth less than $2. So the kind of carnage that we are seeing. I'm also looking at Netflix down, wow, 40% just year to date. And it goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show. What has really changed fundamentally? Could it be this much? Uh, you mentioned Amazon down 3%, back to 2,700, guys. Uh, that's going to take you all the way back to June of 20. 20- 20. Uh, meantime, IBM earnings in just a few hours. I'm reminded, uh, John, about that uh, cut to sell over at UBS uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, while some expansion was to be expected post-spin, uh, the long-term average uh, op- is better looking optically because of the spin, but still a lot of concern about the margin profile. I think UBS put a target of 124 on it. Uh, it'll be a good lens into what enterprise is looking like in the coming quarters. Yeah, I think this is one of those uh, earnings reports that's going to be important because <laughs> if you're interested in cash flow, uh, you know, IBM over the past several, several years has been really focused on uh, managing for profitability, right? So how does a stock like that get treated in an environment like this where top line growth, D, is not, uh, is not as <laughs> exciting to investors and maybe a little bit more safety, cash yeah. flow? Profits are, if you've got more of the safety and profits, but but little to no top line growth, uh, you know, uh, consistently, how does the market treat that uh, based on what gets said? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of these stocks, right? The classic tech value legacy play hasn't really gone anywhere over the last, what, 10 years. Uh, But it's times like these when the markets get kind of scared off of high growth that they look to an IBM. This this Kindrel spinoff will be interesting, guys, because um, it's going to make it difficult to really see what's underlying this growth at the new IBM uh, and the results of those cloud, uh, the cloud initiatives they've gone so hard on, Carl. Yeah. Uh, And as far as uh, we've mentioned this call a couple of times today, but there was one uh, reiteration of a buy on Microsoft over at Goldman today. They keep their target at 400. Uh, We expect another strong quarter uh, in fiscal uh, 2Q as our conversations point to a healthy demand environment, including sustained momentum in public cloud adoption. Uh, D, that's going to be key, is getting at least some signal from mega cap tech that there is stability in demand uh, in some of these high growth areas. And we're going to see how far that goes in reassuring some of the bulls. Yeah, that's going to be a critical one. And that's coming up uh, this week. One more thing, guys, before we go. After a 24 percent drop on Thursday, Peloton is 
reportedly attracting an activist investor, Blackwell's Capital, which has a stake of less than 5 percent, calling for CEO John Foley to step aside and for the company to explore a sale. On Friday, guys, we talked about Apple as a possible buyer with shares now below the September 2019 IPO price of $29. This all comes as Peloton hires McKinsey to help cut costs. CNBC reporting of production halts and now the bike making an appearance in the season six premiere of Billions. Spoiler alert here, a major character having a heart attack after a ride. That is a spoiler. I want to know who that is now, guys. Uh, Peloton saying they didn't give permission for Billions to use its IP and add cardiovascular exercise helps people lead long, happy lives. Going back to the activist side of this, guys, remember, this is a tech company, what it calls itself a tech company going public. So, John, they do have those dual class shares. It would be very difficult to replace fully or push him out given the way that it listed right. and those but, shares are structured. I mean, oh, shouldn't Peloton worry less about fictional storylines about people having heart attacks on their bikes? At least they're riding the bikes and worry more about investors having, you know, <laughs> heart attacks about the movements in the stock price based on their handling uh, of the supply chain and their plans. Carl, uh, I mean, I, I know perhaps not every piece of publicity is good publicity, but I mean, People, you know, in fictional shows have heart attacks running in Nike shoes. You don't see Nike getting worked up about it. You know, our shoes are great. People don't have heart attacks. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think the more interesting uh, comment about it, guys, is, is the idea that a lot of these stay-at-home names, D, you know, people sort of anticipated that they would have a come to Jesus moment, but that would be because the pandemic was largely behind us. And that would lead to this environment of better spending, of more, optimis more optimism about the future. Uh, but it's a difficult call when you're the Fed is just such a powerful dynamic. Yeah. Add on to that today, the geopolitics, and it does sort of erase that reopening trade that so many of the bulls had hoped on. Yeah, we talked so often over the last few years about the pull forward and these names, their valuations maybe growing too large, but I'm not sure anyone saw this kind of a hit this quickly. You should also note, too, the ARC funds, right? They are getting hit perhaps harder than, any, than anything else out there as sort of an indication, Carl, of that stay-at-home trade. Yeah. Uh, the 4% decline, by the way, on the NAS, uh, it is uh, the worst day now since September of 2020, and it does take you back to levels we last saw in May. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.